Welcome in. Before we get rolling, I want to tell you about the awesome sponsors that are keeping this free for you guys. First on the list, we have Pacific Custom Calls. If you're looking for a waterfowl call at all, ducks, geese, cranes, whatever you're after, uh, Pacific Calls have got it. I personally run the uh, 509 Goose Call. Been doing it for a couple years, and I love it. Haven't had any issues with it yet. Uh, the guys over there are awesome. So if you're looking for a new call, you can find them at PacificCustomCalls.com. Uh, search them up. Find what you need. If they don't have it, they will soon. Next, we have DuckSeason.com. Uh, this is a website where you can go on, uh, put in your location, where you're at, what you hunt, what you go after, and you can link up with people from across the country and see what they go after, where they're at, and you guys can trade hunts. Uh, it's an awesome deal. If you uh, don't have the money to do a guided hunt or you don't want to have a guide and you just kind of want to do somewhat freelance, this is a uh, great way to do it. So get on there, get signed up. just takes a couple seconds to uh, get your info in there and you're uh, on the list and people can search through your state and find you. And It's a great thing. I'm on it. Look for me there. Maybe we can trade a hunt someday. Now we have Easy Deeks uh, decoy rigging systems, decoy weight systems. They do Texas rigs, timber rigs, whatever you're looking for for your floating uh, decoys or decoy bags or anything like that. They got it there. Uh, check them out. A lot of cool stuff on there. Their website is the letters E Z Deeks, D E K E S.com. Um, a lot of cool things on there. Go check them out. Now we got Waylon Johnson and his guide service. He's down in the San Antonio area. He's chasing all sorts of ducks and geese down there along with some fishing. Uh, if you're down in the area looking for uh, some birds or for some fishing, give him a call. His number is 361 494 seven eight six eight now for your decoy needs you should go check out big al's decoys uh silhouettes of about any word you can think of he's got on there uh swans ducks geese pigeons turkeys and uh possibly some more cool things in the future big things so uh if you're looking for some decoys go check them all out they got bags and everything on the site uh it's big al's decoys.com b-i-g-a-l-s-d-e-c-o-y-s.com and on to uh, a custom lanyard site. If you're looking to uh, get a new lanyard, hang your calls on, looking for something to get customized, uh, Landon does a great job. He's at uh, Darkwater Customs. You can find him on Instagram and put an order through him that way, at dark underscore water underscore customs. Get on there, check it out. He does some awesome work. Uh, not just lanyards, he does haulers too. So uh, get after it. Go get him. Go get something cool from him. Now we've got Steady Wing Outfitters. That's Mikey Soberano over in Northeast Kansas. He specializes in waterfowl, turkey, deer. I know for waterfowl season coming up, he's uh, ready and raring to go. So if you're looking for a hunt over in that area, give him a call. His number is 785-410-2304. And last but not least, we have Highline Retrievers. That's my dog training business up here in Northeast Montana. Uh, if you're looking to get your dogs trained, if you're looking for advice... Uh, whatever you need, I'm always available. I'm always uh, willing to help out. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, all the places. And then if you need to get a hold of me, uh, my number is 406-783-7083. Thanks a lot. Thanks to all of our sponsors. And enjoy the show. Well, the covey took wing, shotguns singing, a pointing dog down in the old logging road. And then he got three and looked back grinning. I fumbled around and I tried to reload. The country was. All right, welcome to the Woods and Water Podcast. This is Garrett. 
Today on the line, well, with me, co-hosting tonight is Drew Bayumpa. And then online we have Natalie Spaulding. Uh, she's back again. Um, we're going to talk a little bit shed hunting and then hopefully some shed hunting with the dog and how to get started doing that. So for the people that didn't listen a couple episodes ago when you are on, Natalie, do you want to introduce yourself real quick and what you do in the outdoors? Um, sure. I'm Natalie Spaulding. Um, I do several things in the outdoors. I'm really obsessed with whitetails, most, uh, mostly deer and turkey hunt. Um, I do have two labs, and um, I, I really don't deer hunt much anymore because I track wounded deer with my dogs, um, and I also shed hunt with them. So I'm running the dogs so about six months out of the year, either tracking wounded deer or, or shed hunting and looking for deadheads after season. So that's my passion. And I've, I've come to enjoy my time with the dogs more than more than hunting itself. So really shifted for me. Okay. So I just kind of want to start like straight from nothing. What time of year do you start when you start seeing deer with one antler hanging off or do you wait for a good snow or when do you start? Well, we don't. And this is probably a little different for you all. We don't get the snowfall that you do every year. I mean, there are years where through my lifetime, we've had a couple of episodes where we get like 20 inches of snow and that's just our whole world shuts down. But I mean, we may go like a whole winter and only get one snow or we may have several. it's, It's different every year. So it's not really much of a snow issue here. Um, I start, um, late December, early January on public land. Um, and, and I do most of mine on walking on public land. I just have a few private farms I, I walk. So I start pretty early. Um, because I, I guess my thought on public land is I can't mess up, too, <laughs> mess up too much. Um, and we're, we walk it, we're not only looking for sheds, but we look for, for deadheads too. So, I mean, I've already started this year. So I, I typically run like end of December, beginning of January until it starts getting too hot for the dogs to be comfortable to run for like four or five hours at a time. So last year it started getting warm mid-March. Some years it might not start getting warm till like early April, but once it starts getting hot and the dogs can't run that long, that's kind of when I stop. Got it. Got it. Got it. So you kind of answered that in there when it starts getting too hot. I was going to say, when do you end? Because yeah, and I remember John when you you had John Breeze on. Uh, I guess maybe it was last year, and he had talked about the incident with the snakes. You know, yeah, I'm kind of weird about the snakes too. Um, not so much for me. I have snake gators. I'm not afraid of me walking through the snakes, but I am paranoid about my dogs getting bit by snakes. Um, so yeah, when it when it becomes snake season, it's uh, it's time to quit. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. All right, Drew, before I start rapid firing here, do you got anything you want to throw in? That's, uh, it's really interesting for you to say that you start that early, to be honest. Well, they're already dropping. So I have two friends, um, that, that do allow me access to public, their public, um, land. And they said that their small deer are already dropping. They have several small deer that have already dropped. So... Like, I've noticed that, like, injured deer will drop early, sometimes as early as December. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and there are, trust me, from tracking, there are a ton of injured deer running around out there. Um, 
we actually found we found a fresh deceased deer last year that had shed but had like just shed both antlers and we we were like the first ones on the carcass like nothing else had shed, touched it yet um so it shed and then and then it died <laughs> and i really couldn't I, it looked like it maybe been hit by a car it looked like it's back like some of the bones in its back leg were like broken maybe but there was no other wound on it so um and that was pretty that was in january it's pretty early so yeah we will they're they're already there some of them are shedding here but we will have deer hold till like turkey season here as well it really depends on the health of the deer like but on our public land here there's less food resources especially like um maybe on some of the military bases around here um so that in my experience those deer shed early in january and february if you're not out there in january and february and you wait till march most all the other people have picked over the sheds so when do you guys start when do you guys start worrying about uh squirrels chewing on them or do you worry about that uh at all? you're always up against the squirrels like <laughs> they're pretty quick at them yeah the public and the squirrels <laughs> are who you're fighting for your sheds here yeah they the squirrels eat them very quickly um, unless they're falling out, like, in, like we found an old shed last weekend, um, and it was, like, in a tall, grassy field. But, like, anything that's in the canopy, yeah, you the squirrels are on them pretty quickly. I can about imagine that. Yeah, like you were yeah. saying about until turkey season, that, that made me think last year when me and Briar were out looking around for turkeys, like, right before season and one off for opening day, we were looking at mule deer that sell antlers on up on the side hill and couple of them only had one antler but we were watching hard hoping they'd start hopping away and bounce one off so you go grab it but never did but yeah so they're even up here they're still holding them deep into spring yeah now garrett you and i might be wrong on this for montana i may be thinking of wyoming but do you all have like a shed season like where you can't start until may 1st no that's that's wyoming is that that's wyoming so like i got a friend that lives over close to jackson hole and he said that Mm -hmm. That's yeah. a big thing over there because the whole herd's down there in the valley. And then once once they shed and it gets that season, he said there's people there like at midnight at the gate with headlamps on waiting for him to shoot the gun off to take off. Uh, yeah, I've seen videos of it. It looks like exciting. That's kind of on my bucket list. <laughs> I'd love to do that sometime. Yeah, until you're out there walking through six foot of snow. And then you do find one mm-hmm. couple and you're packing out elk antlers a little bit heavier than little whitetail antlers. So, yeah. Yeah, found I that out imagine. from carrying out a deadhead, deadhead or two, during elk season this year. They're a lot heavier than, a lot heavier than they look. Yeah, um, when my dogs did the the shed hunting, like the field trials, when they get to the master level, they have to locate and pick up like an elk antler, and they have to deliver it to hand. And I mean, my lab's like 80 pounds and like he has to drag the thing. It's, (laughs) I think it's a 12 pound one and he has to drag the thing across the ground. It's pretty, and that's not even like a super large one. Um, 12 pounds. It's not like the biggest elk antler you'd find probably. Yeah. So, yeah. 12 pounds doesn't sound like much until you're walking through all that snow and you got a couple of them on your back. Then it adds up real quick and you're doing the hills and the elevation. Yeah. I can imagine. So. Very tough. When you're going out, let's start with what areas are you looking for? Like you're going somewhere fresh, say it's like a hundred acre chunk. What are you looking for first? Where are you hitting first? Well, I'm going to say that I've had to learn this as I went because I made, I'll tell you what my mistakes were when I started. 
when I started, I would, I would look at properties and be like, oh my gosh, it's, you know, look how many big deer have been killed off that property. That's an awesome farm. I'll take our farm for our personal family farm, for example, it's like a great hunting farm. And I would make assumptions that, man, if I can get access to shed hunt that, that would be awesome. Those farms don't always produce sheds. So like, for example, our family farm is great to hunt, but when it comes to shed season, if I can find one shed on there, I'm doing good. Whereas you could go like two farms over and like they're just all laying out in fields everywhere because they have crops. So I made, I made mistakes of not, you have to really think like where the deer are going to be in January and February, not where they are in October and November. And that's like one of the big mistakes I made early on. Um, so I wasted a lot of time <laughs> and a lot of miles walking places that I thought were honey holes that, that really weren't. Um, so I've kind of, especially on the private farms, like I've kind of had to learn like what farms produce and what farms don't. Um, and, and I've pretty much learned that through, you know, through the years, like our farm doesn't produce, like I have another extended family members farm. That's just not even a mile down the road that will produce 10 to 12 a year. Typically, um, on, on public though, I, I mean, I just go anywhere, really. I look, I mean, I look at maps and like look kind of just pick points that I think I want to go to. And I just try different areas and like just kind of scout it out. Like I tried a new place on, um, on public this last weekend and, and I learned very quickly that I couldn't really access some of the points of it because of water, but, um, I'll like look at it and then kind of look at the map and just, I don't know, just kind of fill it out. Um, I really, I don't know, don't have a, a set way of, of doing it. I mean, I like, I like pines. I like cedar thickets. Um, I don't know, just a lot of different places. Uh, and I like to explore on public too. So just go to different places. And if, if I get there, like I'll look at the map first and like pick where I want to go. But if I get there and I'm like, this isn't what I thought it was going to be, then I'll just up and move to another area. So I like, I won't, I've learned not to like waste my time somewhere that I initially thought my head was going to be a good place. And then I learned that it's, it's really not what I thought it was going to be when so I was looking at the map. When you said you, uh, you know, like October's honey hole is different than where they're going to be in the wintertime. What, what difference, like what's the difference between the two are you thinking? Like uh, betting wise, because you because what I think of is the snow and whatnot up here. They're gonna all be it's gonna be cold and snowy, so they're gonna be out in fields that had a terrible harvest in them, or the combine left a lot of grain behind, and that's just where you're gonna find a lot of them. Around you guys, that's why I was trying to get more shed under from different areas because it's gonna be totally different. Like you said, you guys don't get the snow or as cold. So what what's different? What areas are you looking at in the winter time versus fall? Well, I can say on our private, like on on my personal farm, it, it's kind of mind blowing to me because we are surrounded by farms that have just like they're just like cattle farms, they're wide open fields, they're crops, and we have all like the dense cover. So it's we typically hold a lot of deer, but for whatever reason, those bucks are all shedding on those food source like those the bean fields, the corn fields, and in those cattle fields. And like the neighbors are just like rocking. I mean, they're just laying out there in the open and where we have all the cover, we have like warm season grasses, we have cedar thickets, we have 
all the safety and no pressure and it just doesn't produce any sheds and it doesn't really make any sense. Um, I've found on a lot of private grounds, like the people that have food plots and crops can just easily with very little effort, just go out there and they'll be like, Oh yeah, we waited till March and we all got in our ATV and we rode out and drove through the field and the food plots and we picked up 30. Well, I'm like I could spend my whole season on public to pick up 30 like walking a hundred miles. So like there are people around here that have those private farms that I, and I think it's mostly the people have food plots and those crops um, that are just honey holes. And like, like our neighbors on our neighbors, right beside our, our private farm just rode around the fields in their ATV and probably picked up half of what I picked up last season with that, without any effort. So, and then, you know, we've got all the cover and everything set up perfectly for the deer and they're just not there during, during February. So, uh, I've just had to, I, I don't really see any rhyme or reason to it. I think it's more food related that, that time of year. I think it's where the deer are like on these food plots. Um, I find very few like in thick cover on some of these private farms. And like, what? honestly, I mean, some like some of the private farms that my husband has where I can get access to, like they're not even great hunting farms, but for whatever reason, these sheds are just like laying out in the middle of these like cow pastures. Like I can't even, there's not even any food there for the deer. <laughs> I don't like know why they're just, I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's, I've just had to kind of learn like what areas produce them and, and what, what don't. Um, now on the, some of the public ground now, um, like fish and wildlife has put in some food plots on some of our like WMAs, um, and some of the, like the military public ground, there are food plots, but those are, those are picked over pretty quickly, but they typically produce sheds as well. But I mean, it's pretty, you have to be out there constantly to, to get them. You have to kind of get off the beaten path on those public places to to find any, unless you just get lucky and you're the first person there when they, when they drop. But I've occasionally found some on the food plots and in, in public, but they're what would, uh, picked what up. Would happen, what would happen if you went to your family farm with 500 mm -hmm. pounds of corn? Well, you know, we, I mean, we still have like, my brother just dumped the rest of our corn out there. I, I don't know that that would, I, I'd probably see a couple, but I still think they would, cause we're, I mean, we're feeding up through now. I still think they would, it would cost us a lot of money, first of all, to feed, <laughs> to feed them all the way through March. Um, and our, you know, I, I wouldn't, I don't even start till like late February. I'm like private typically because those deer are healthier and they typically hold longer, but, um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think if you have the food there to keep them coming in, there's a good chance they're going to shed close to that food source. But it's really hard to beat those food plots and those crops. It, I don't know. And and like the, so these, the people that have those honey holes will laugh and they'll be like, you've been out for like three months and you've walked hundreds of miles and, you you know, you've got like, 50 sheds and we like picked up 30 in a day just riding with our ATV. I'm like, well, that's great. I mean, <laughs> I don't, you know, I don't have that. I have to, you know, have to go on public and fight the public, fight the squirrels and 
um, have a, you know, a few private places I can go to, but not all of them produce. And I've learned not to, once I figure out that they don't produce, like I'll, I'll do one loop through, but I'm not going to like put all my time in there. Um, whereas it, early on when I first started doing it, I like, I didn't really go on public much. I wasn't comfortable going on public. Um, I wasn't as good with the maps and I just didn't know my way around. So I pretty much stayed on two or three private farms and they just produced very little. Um, so I was spinning my wheels a lot. So when you're saying you're looking at maps, what are you looking at on the maps? Like you're on the topo map or satellite or what are you looking for? Well, I mean, when I first started, I didn't know how to read a map at all. <laughs> like I didn't even know my way around like the public, like to look at, like I had just started using Onyx. Um, now for some of, some of our other public land, we use Avenza maps. So, you know, in some of the public land, you have to maybe log into areas and you're, you shouldn't be outside of that area if you're not logged into it. So like, I didn't even know how to tell where the property lines were, where I could like technically be. So that's something I had to learn. And I learned that I learned how to use on X mostly from like tracking, like I had it and I was using it mostly just for property lines to know where people's property lines were. But like, I'm still learning on X and, and I learned a lot just from tracking with it. But now I've learned how to use like the feature to see what like the different tree species are. Um, like the different difference in like elevation where like there's open areas where there's water. Like I'm still learning to read maps and like initial, I'd say those first like three or four years I was doing that. Like I had no, I was just out walking blindly and I can tell you that you spend a lot of time spinning your wheels doing that. Um, I sure did. So um, our last year was probably one of our, our better years. Cause I feel like I learn a little bit more each year and maybe 10, tend to spend my time more wisely and playing things out instead of just, as my husband would say, I just go out and just start. He just says, I just wander through the woods. And, um, that's a lot of what I was doing early on, or I've just follow the dogs, like where the dogs want to go, <laughs> just follow the dogs and, um, see what they find. So, so are you looking for like a uh, flats or where trees come out to a point or what, what specifically on a map just pops out to you? Like I'm for sure going to hit that. Now that you've got some experience on it. I like, so I like like pines. I really <laughs> like pines. And then I like cedars. And then I like those that like are bordering or surrounded by some kind of food source. Okay. So like if you found like pines or cedars that are like surrounded by like oaks or they're like surrounded by like, or they're off to the side of like a food plot or some kind of food source. So you're looking, you're kind of connecting the cover, the bedding with the food. That makes sense. Yeah. So, so then do you just hit those areas and just kind of like start making a spiral, getting bigger and bigger? Or how do you well, attack them? So, so I, I've learned other things, other little tricks too I've learned. So you want to walk with the sun at your back. Um, because, and I've also learned like if you walk, like you could walk one way and then you could come turn around and walk back the exact same way. And like when what you didn't see the first time you're walking, you will see on the other, like the opposite way you're walking. So, so that kind of touches on to something I was asked about too. What yeah. time of day are you hitting since you're in a lot of trees? Whenever I'm available. Okay. So, so you're you not know, just a morning you know, only person. 
I work like a full-time job and I have a toddler who she comes with me a lot. Um, she's been coming with me since she was like one and a half. She used to ride on my back. So um, I, my daughter comes with me. So anytime in the daylight from now till probably the end of March, any time I have in the daylight, I'm going to be out walking somewhere. So it's, it's an opportunity thing for me. Um, when I'm available to walk, okay. I would prefer like an overcast day. I like rain. I don't want to, I don't want a monsoon pouring on me, but I like when it's either been raining or, you know, it just rained. Um, I think that also helps with the dogs. And then I try, I'm not very good at being mindful about this, but it's to my advantage to have the wind in the dog's face. Um, so that's something that I try to keep in mind too, for the dogs to smell. So those are just, um, and, and one thing that really helped, I used to just try to cover as much area as I could like, Oh my gosh, can I walk 10 miles a day? But then my, so my daughter used to ride on my back. Um, and she's five now and she, I got her some little hiking boots and she started walking, you know, doing some of the hiking on her own. It was kind of 50, 50 last year. She did some riding, she did some hiking. And let me tell you, four-year-olds don't walk very fast. And I learned what a significant difference that made for me last year. If I cover less area, but slow down, I was way more successful. Like <laughs> we found almost double the sheds last year. And I think a lot of that had to do with slowing down Taking and your time not and really just, going over an area. Yeah. Not just blowing through areas and being like, Oh yeah, we covered 10 miles today, but really did I, did I cover 10 miles? Like, <laughs> I ran through 10 miles, but maybe I should have slowed down and like done a third of that and really spent my time in an area because I, I noticed a huge difference last year, like wait, having to walk at her pace. So something to keep in mind, like more miles. I mean, they always say miles for piles, but yeah, you do have to put in a lot of miles and you do have to be out there a lot and walk a lot, but maybe slowing down, you, you may see things you wouldn't have seen flying through. So I had a, so I'm kind of taking notes two years I'm going. So you're saying food, sun, and when you can, wind at the dog's face. Now, mm -hmm. I want to ask you how this would work with a dog. But I had, I was watching a YouTube video. And I thought it was pretty insightful. And actually, I tried it. And it really kind of helped me stay engaged while I was shed hunting. Um, we only found one shed. But I honestly don't think if we, were, if we weren't playing this game, I don't think we would have found it. But uh, what we were doing was me and my dad. And what we did is we took a shed antler along with us. And while we were walking, we would throw the shed antler into the woods or wherever we were walking. So that way, one of us always knew there was a shed antler to find. Now, it, it helped us stay engaged. It kind of, you know, kept us from getting bored. And it made sure that we were looking because ultimately we didn't want to lose one of our sheds that we had already found. But mm -hmm. was, is that something that you you would ever do, especially with a dog? Or I guess, what's your take on that? Um, I, I have done that with, with a dog um, because my dogs do so many different tasks. I mean, they're trained on waterfowl and tracking in the sheds. And typically what triggers them with tracking is they put a vest on. So that, that lets them know what job they're doing. But when we kind of transition between seasons, I may bring a shed with me when we're getting out of the car and throw it a couple of times just so they know, okay, this is what we're going to do today. Um, and, and then once we find one, 
they don't like to leave it. I have to, I have to near hide one. Once we find it, I have to either get it on my back or like hide it in the backpack because they want to, they want me to constantly throw it. And the, so the, the dogs don't really enjoy that shed in their mouth. They, they're waterfowl dogs. They like birds in their mouth. Um, what they like about the shed is the retrieve aspect. So yeah, like that, I think sometimes I would take, I'll take a shed with me just to get them pumped up and to throw that out there and, and get them their mind on, this is what we're doing today. And this is, this is what we're going to be doing for the next three months, just so that they can switch gears. But that's a lot of too, you know, that what, you, what you just did with the shed is like kind of step two in training a dog because you kind of start with with throwing the shed with the retrieve and then you start throwing it somewhere where they can't see it and they have to find it. They know you've thrown it, but <clears throat> where is it in the bushes? Um, so that that's kind of part of what I do in training as well. All right. So still kind of sticking on sort of with um, areas you're looking. My dad is obsessed when we go look for sheds at walking up and down fence lines because his theory is they're going to jump that fence, they got a loose antler, they're going to hit the ground on the other side and it's going to pop right off. I think we have found one shed on a fence line where that could have been it. Have you heard that? Has that ever worked for you or not? I've never found one on a fence line and I have Thank so you. many... I'm sorry, but I don't want to call your dad old. So many old guys are always like, walk the fence lines, walk the fence line. Like, I have never found one on a fence line. I'm not saying it couldn't happen. It logically makes sense, but it hasn't happened for me yet. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, we have found one over all the years on the fence line, and he was sure to let me know. See, I told you when they hit the ground on the other side, if they got loose one, it pops off. <laughs> we found I found more just laying randomly out in the grass on the prairie than I have on a fence line, and... That's not even an exaggeration slightly. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. So, and I know our grandpa Nani is of that same opinion because he has told me that you got to walk them fence lines. So it's an old guy thing, I'm sure. <laughs> so besides <laughs> fence lines, what kind of other areas do you see as not quite worth your time? Like if you've only got a little bit of time during a day, what kind of areas are you probably skipping over? Um, I'm skipping over like just, I, I kind of like thickets and then something, and I don't know if you all read this book, Joe, there's a guy named Joe Shedd and he has a book on shed hunting. He's completely obsessed with shed hunting, but I did learn from his book though, the, like the pines. So like out in the middle of fields, like these isolated pine trees, like the evergreens that are just out in the middle of nowhere, kind of on their own, not like in a thicket are kind of like deer magnets and they're kind of like structure for fish is his, his theory. And then after reading that and like where every year I find these sheds in the same place and that's like, they are in those like isolated evergreens. So like maybe you have like a big cattle field or I don't know, a food plot or something. And you have like a row of like kind of isolated evergreens. There's that's typically like a really good spot that I want to hit. And like, there's certain farms where like, if I'm getting out of the car and I've got 30 minutes till dark, that's the first place I'm going. That's the first thing I'm going to hit. And like sometimes, <laughs> sometimes on like some of the open, more open private farms, sometimes we'll go a little bit past dark if we've got our headlamps with us, me and my daughter will. But um, 
that if I'm, especially as we get into like February and March, like if I try to hit, hit something up after work, I'm usually going to have 30 to 45 minutes. That's one of the first places I'm going. Um, and then food plots. If I'm, if I'm like short on time, I'm going to, I'm going to blow through a food plot pretty quickly. And then I'm going to go to all the places like surrounding that food plot. Um, those are, those are my main, if I, if I'm in a pinch and I'm only getting like, once we get into February, March, I'll get like 30 to 45 minutes a day on weekdays. And that's typically where I'm going. Um, I'll typically run the dogs anywhere I can, anywhere I can get before dark. So get out every day. Do you, uh, do you have pretty good success on asking farmers or landowners to walk for sheds if it's an adjacent area to where maybe you found them historically? No. <laughs> really? You don't? No, I I'm mean, I've not really asked that many people. So interestingly enough, and I'm, um, I did track for someone this year and I didn't even ask them. They're just the nicest people. And like, they have like a thousand acres. It's about an hour for me. And they're like, come back and chat hunt. And I was like, really? I was like, I will be here. <laughs> I promise you. I'll probably be here several days. Um, but uh, uh, shed hunting has become way more popular. So a lot of people have asked, like there have been farms I've asked for permission on and they're like, no, I've already got somebody hunting it or no, we hunt it. And like a lot of times the hunters like to do it themselves, or at least like they'll, they think that they'll drive around on their ATVs and pick them up out of fields or whatever, but it's become much more popular here. And, um, it's almost the equivalent of asking to hunt on a property. Um, it's kind of hard to find, find really good private. So, yeah, we have the opposite problem here. They'll beg you to come out and find them. Cause I don't know if you really? know this, but, uh, tractor tires, extremely expensive. And those antlers are the perfect thing to pop five or six mm -hmm. holes in it. I will say on the flip side though. So Garrett and I, we share an uncle obviously and super, super nice individual. But, uh, to your point, Natalie, there is, you know, the common man has actually, I think, ruined a lot of things, though, too. We, I've heard stories um, of people specifically on my uncle's land where they'll be walking it in the middle of the morning. Or not in the middle of the morning, but in the middle of the night. So mm -hmm. there's a story where my uncle, obviously during calving season, they will post one person up at the farmhouse. And the rest of them will all, you know, stay at their residence, which is around 10 miles away from the, the main ranch. And the one day he was driving from his house to go deliver a calf at around three in the morning. And he was watching, he watched three individuals with headlamps walking through his different draws and coolies because they were looking for mm -hmm. shed So oh, yeah. the course, what he has to do is he has to postpone trying to deliver a calf, which is his livelihood to make sure he can figure out what these yahoos are doing just to find out at 3 AM they're, they're just walking through his fields trying to find uh, shed antlers which is something I would never think would be an extreme that people would go to, but I guess I don't know. No, it's gotten crazy. It's pretty crazy. It's actually, so if you're working with dogs, that's kind of like the best time to go really, <laughs> because if you've got good, you know, really good, like spotlight and headlamp, um, because those thermals fall at night and it makes it easier like that, that sense being pulled to the ground and like those dogs can smell it a lot better. So if you're running dogs, it's really not, not a bad idea. It's, you know, as far as humans, you're probably not going to see much unless you're right up on top of it. But, um, yeah, I, I think we're kind of there with 
the, the craziness and the madness for it. And it's become very competitive. Um, and, and there's just, I don't know, a lot of people that do it now. And, and most of these properties are already spoken for in my experience. Wow. Is there any, is there any deer out there that, you know, are like getting bigger and bigger and bigger every year and no one's shooting them? Deer that are getting bigger because nobody's shooting them. No, like, is I there any so. deer that, no, that you're like finding historically, like year after year, you're finding the same antler from the same deer? No, um, actually, we, um, I found a set on our farm. Um, I think it was in 2021, and it was a really nice set. And it was a deer we had on camera. He would come once a year on my camera, and he'd come pre archery season, usually like late August early September, we get one or two pictures of him, never see him again. And this year was the first year I didn't get him early season like that. But my brother ended up shooting him um, during rifle. So um, he was, he's probably at least five or six years old. He's a really big deer. But um, I only found his sheds that, that one year. And then the deer that my dad shot this year in archery season, I had one side from him. Um, and that was the first, the first time I'd found his sheds at all. And he just came on our cameras this year. Um, but I had one of his sides from shed season last year, but, um, now, and then the deer I shot, one of the deers, the deer I shot in 2010, which is a deer I'd been watching for a while on camera. Like I, he was broken off in, um, the year before. And I had one of his, I had still have his side from the year before. Um, but yeah, I don't have any, and I think a lot of that's because I'm hunting a lot of public too. <laughs> I don't have, I don't have a lot of consecutive year um, deer sheds. So, so like we were saying earlier about them being on, like you were saying the food plots and whatnot, and we look for fields out here that we know they've been on. Do you pay attention to uh, water holes also? Like if you find them on around water holes in your area. I don't find them around much water. I mean, so water in our area is going to be like small farm ponds. Um, when when I say river, most of the rivers that I'm are, are fairly small. It's not like Ohio River size. They're like what most people would think of as just like a really large creek. Um, I typically don't find that many near water. Okay. Um, not to say they're not there, but like most of most of the areas I'm I'm searching on or like either have just like small creeks or they may have a small river system or just like a farm pond but okay yeah i don't find many on water okay i think most i I really don't know how a lot of our deer get water in the winter besides eating snow so that's something i've never had to worry about but i don't know if that was a thing if they still congregate at water and in the winter time over there if you might find some in those areas um, I don't think our deer is like, I mean, like they pretty much have access to, I mean, we were in a major drought this year and I think they still have pretty good access to water everywhere. So I don't know that they really like congregate where they may like where there's less water sources. All right. My last question before we start worrying about dogs, unless Drew has more, are you uh, for or against antler traps? Um, I'd say against, and I've, I've never, 
I've never used one, but I'd say if like if you did it incorrectly, well, I don't even know if there's a correct way to do it, but I'd say your the deer might get trapped in there <laughs> where if you weren't checking it multiple times a day or didn't have like a live feed camera on it, like you're kind of setting it up to get eaten by a predator or die trying to get out. That's where I'm at. And too. I think it's I'm pretty sure it's illegal in Kentucky. I think antler trap I I don't I think it's illegal in most states, isn't it? It's illegal here for sure. Yeah, I think I, I don't know that it's legal in any states that I'm aware of, but I don't know. I don't really shed hunted any other states. It's one of those things where it's like, would I love to do it? Yeah. Can I say I can do it and not injure a deer? No. So even if it was legal, I think I would have like a dilemma with it. Like I would feel bad, or I would like you're saying like I would have to put like a cell camera on it. Because it would be cool if you could, especially, I guess where I'm from in Minnesota, we have four different deer on the property that we're watching constantly. We're getting them night after night. We're purposely putting cameras on food because we want to get their shed antlers. So if you can, you know, put something out there to facilitate the antler dropping right then and there, that'd be awesome. But yeah, that's, that's hard because yeah, if, if they're not ready to drop and they hook them, you're kind of screwing the deer over. Yeah, I, I mean, if they got, yeah, they're either going to, and then they're either going to exhaust themselves or hurt themselves trying to get out, or you just pretty much trap them for something else to eat them before yeah. you get there. Yeah. Drew, you got anything before I start asking dog questions? No, I, I'm ready for the dogs. All right. Natalie, I have trained a couple dogs for shed hunting, but... Let's say I've got Bo right here standing next to me. He's two years old. He's picked up birds. Never in this will say he's never touched an antler in his life, never even chewed on one. Is it too late for me to start with him, or how would no. I get started? No. So I'll kind of tell you the story of how I got started. So when I got started, my husband had um, his lab that he had before we got together, who was eight or nine at the time. Now, his lab had waterfowl training, so he was force-fetched, he's collar-conditioned, and he has that retriever background. And then when I got timber, that's in this, that's what I started timber on this second I got timber. He was 12 weeks old. I started um, with just, like, I have one of those rubber antlers, too, for, like, puppies, where that, if they jump on it, it doesn't give them that negative association from, like, the, the tines hitting them. But I started him with those retrieves. So... While I was training Timber, I went ahead and trained his eight-year-old lab who already had that basic foundation for obedience retriever work. I trained him as well um, just because once I, I sent Timber off just for force fetch and collar condition and I'd started getting into the whole NASHTA, like the, the field um, test and I actually trained that dog and where I struggled with that dog was from the waterfowl training. He, he constantly wanted to be on my hip and I had to really work to like push him out to search. Whereas I taught Sim Timber to search and be a little more independent in his search, like from the time he was a puppy. So that I, I will say that my husband's senior dog learned how to do it and got a master title from NASHTA by age I think nine. And I took him out in the field and he, he was fine. And like I said, 
the biggest struggle, like when you have that base work, you've got that obedience, you got the force fetch or collar conditioning, um, and that retrieve already, like you're really just teaching them to search for that shed because they've already got that formal retrieve to hand. Um, so I mean, the biggest, like I said, the biggest struggle was getting him off my hip. And I think that's common for like that waterfowl dog is going to want to, they want to be like killed at your side. So I think it helped too with having Timber who was already like running out in front of me to help get that dog off of my side because he wanted to stay at my side instead of going out and independently searching a little bit more. But no, they're never too old. Okay. What? Yeah. I'm going to do a couple. Two would be a great age actually because if you've already got all that foundational work done, like, yeah, that'd be awesome age. Okay, before I start getting into steps, I want to do a couple basic questions quick. What command are you using to send them out so they know? Because, like, I do so many things with Bo. Like, him, I shed hunt with, uh, waterfowl, upland, coyote hunt. I do everything with him. So I've got different commands so he knows kind of what we're doing. And I do, like we were talking about, toss a couple antlers before we get started. Mm -hmm. Like, I'll get out there, throw a couple. And what I do is say, find the shed, toss him a couple, and he figures it out, and then he kind of does his thing. So what command are you using since you're not doing so many things. So I guess you're doing blood tracking theories too. So you've got additional things mm -hmm. in on it, but yeah. So I was always told to use, make it short. Um, so initially I used just find it. Um, but I've really, I don't really even say anything anymore. I, I think I, I did say it when I did give a command when I was, when I was doing the hunt test with them, but now it's more of a rec they recognize we get in the car, we get out, you don't put a vest on me. You put a, you're putting an e-collar on me. You're not putting a vest on me and you're letting me run free off a lead. They know what we're doing. Like they know because when they're tracking, they have a vest on They're They're on a 30 foot lead with me. I tell them find a line. They take off after deer, like get out of the car and, and they're free. Other than that e-collar on them, like they know, okay, we're spread out. We're searching. <laughs> like they, they know that. And, all. Um, and, and to the point that, you know, I do have a new puppy. He's a year old. And I, I will say that I learned the hard way. I sh if you're going to track with your dog and you're going to do sheds, you, you really should do the tracking training first versus the shed training first. Because the shed training is more air sending. And if you want to track with that dog and you want them to put their nose to the ground, you want to start tracking first, and then the the sheds is, is just like second nature. They can easily air scent. Um, so what, what I struggled with with Timber is I did sheds first, and then at two, I, I trained him to track, and I had to get him to put his nose to the ground instead of just air scenting everything. So I really had to work through that with him that first year and get him used to nose to the ground not nose up in the air, just like trying to find it from, from a distance. So, um, I, I took a different approach with the puppy and he ran with us during shed season last year. He did not have the formal retriever training yet. He was only four months old. Um, I took a long lead just for situations where I thought he could be in danger just with like heavy, like rivers or anything where that I didn't have an e-collar on him yet. He wasn't trained. So, I took a long lead and, and I really found that he didn't really leave me or the other dog, but I, I still have not taught the one year old to shed hunt 
but he literally, it was like monkey see monkey do. Like he picked it up from the other dog and he kind of crushed it last year at four months old, but he didn't have the formal retrieve yet. But like we were out and he just figured out what we were doing. And like, he starts bringing me every single bone he finds in the woods. And we were out one day and he's known for eating everything. Um, and he started, I saw him digging and pawing at the ground and he's digging in the ground. I see him put something in his mouth and I go over there to grab it. And I, I put my hand in his mouth and pulled it out. And like, he dug up a broken deer tine that was buried in the ground at like four months old. And I was like, Oh wow. <laughs> I like this dog. <laughs> like he just, he just picked it up on his own. And now, you know, he has the formal, we, we sent him off for waterfowl training. So like he has that formal retreat down now, but I've not even done shed training with him. Like I focused on the tracking and like I said, he just picked it up watching the other dog. So cool. I don't know. So what yeah. you said, he brought the long lead out and stuff. What kind of range are you wanting out of your dog? How far you want him getting away from you? I don't want them. I really want them within eyesight. Um, and typically, like, if I can't see my dog because he's running so heavy, like, I can hear him panting a lot of times. So there's times where I can't see my dog, but I can hear him. So our first year shed hunting, Timber and I kind of had a our, what I call our come to Jesus moment. And we got um, separated in the woods. He had an e-collar on. And um, we got separated. I heard him squealing. I realized we were separated. I couldn't find him. Didn't know what was going on. Thought coyotes. I got him or something. He was just a puppy. And um, so I panicked. I started hitting the e-collar, shocking him, <laughs> trying to get him to come back to me. Don't know where he is. And we do it. We both just had, like, this panic moment. We lost each other in the woods. And so now, like... I'll see him get like 60 yards out for me and like, he'll be like, he's always checking to see where I am now. So I'll, I'll see him out in the woods and I'll see him turn and like, he can't see me and he'll look for me. And I'll just like, I'll just make like a soft sound, I'll just like click my tongue and be like, and then he'll come straight. And like, he's like, Oh, I know where she is. And like, he keeps tabs on me the same way I keep tabs on him. I don't know if, it's because that moment we had in the woods where we lost each other the first year or what, but um, where we both had a panic, but um, like he keeps tabs on me the same way I keep tabs on him. But the puppy doesn't typically get more than, I'd say, 30 to 40 yards from me. I think that's a confidence thing with him. Um, he stays close to the other dog, but Timber won't get too far from me. Um, he'll be checking. And, and he's look. I, I see him looking for me as much as like I'm watching for him. So I, I do like to at least if I can't see him, at least be able to hear him. Okay. So let's start going through the steps here. If we're going to start with the puppy or dog, I'm assuming you're kind of in the same mindset as me, where you prefer they have their obedience down and force fetch if you can. Well, I so I definitely you definitely want the force fetch if. You know, you can train a dog to do this, but if you're, if you want them to formally retrieve it and bring it to hand to you, you're going to have to have that force fetch okay. or some, some kind of retrieve type. I don't know. Some other, some people do other kinds of conditioning, but I mean, I do the force fetch, but, um, you, you would have to have that, but I don't think that that needs to be, if you're starting like the brand new, like you've got a 12 week puppy, um, they've had all their shots. Like, I think you can, you can start with that before you get into the force fetch with like the scent work part of it and getting them interested because so what I did 
with Timber was once I brought him home, he was like 12 weeks old. I started um, with the scent work and just like basic obedience, like, you know, just getting to sit and um, crate train those, those just type of basic things you do at home. And we sent, I think he went to the trainer when he was eight months old, just because we had to wait for our spotter. He probably would have went at like six months and he went for 10 weeks. He did his force fetch color conditioning and then came back to me. Um, so, but before he went to the trainer, he already understood how to find a shed antler, but he didn't have that formal retrieve down. So he understood we were already playing a game in the yard, which our yard is, it's, we've got like a big hay field. So we were already playing a game every day in the yard where I was going out and hiding six rubber antlers. And I say rubber cause he was like still a puppy and, um, he, he wouldn't pick up the hard antler until he was force fetched. So I was hiding six of those a day and it was a game every day that he went out and like found all of them and he loved it. I mean, every day it's like, we go out, we hide them and he just goes like crazy, like finding them. So he had that down before he went to the trainer. Then he, he did his, the force fetch and color conditioning. And when he came back from that, then he would pick up the hard antler and like retrieve it, formally retrieve it to hand. So. Okay. So that's exactly something I was bring up. He said until he was force fetch, he didn't want to pick up that hard antler. Mm-hmm. Um, so the pup, the, my new puppy doesn't yeah. care though. He pick up any <laughs> anything. Pick up anything. He just wouldn't formally retrieve it to yep. to hand until he had that that formal conditioning. So yeah. Yep. So the yep. first the first dog that I ever really messed with. I didn't think about the force fetch or anything like that. He was a puppy and I was just trying to do things. And so what I had to do to get him to pick up the antler was I just made it as fun as possible. So like in doing retrieves, I have uh, fun bumpers, you call them, which is just when, you know, you've done a couple good retrieves or whatever. And then you're going to do fun when like you can just take your time, lollygag, jump around with it. So when I do that, I do a sound goes hop, hop, hop. And I toss it. Like I just did that and mm-hmm. a freaked out. He's looking for one now. So anyways, I would do that when I, with the antler and just short little retrieves and get him so uh-huh. he was all excited and jazzed up for it. And then he started getting that. It wasn't so bad to pick it up. And if I brought it back, we'd do a bunch of fun ones in a row rather than having to heel sit and do all the extra hard work. Uh-huh. So anyways, going – your dog, like you said, they're at the way at the beginning. It's a bird dog. It wants to have a bird in its mouth, not a hard, cold antler. So uh-huh. if you're not going to force fetch him, it, unless, you know, some dogs will just pick up anything but – a lot of them mm-hmm. are going to be, you got to either force fetch them or make it super fun, make them think that's really rewarding to get one. So when you're doing your rubber antlers and you're uh, hiding them and everything, did you start just by like in the house, just like doing little tiny retrieves and find them around there? Or did you just start yes. without having, having to look for them? No, at, no short retrieves. So like as a puppy, like I had those rubber antlers and like, if you can get like kind of like a hallway area or something where that it forces them just one way in and one way out, like, just to throw that just a short distance, even in the house and let, you know, make it fun. Like you said, get them all pumped up. You throw it, they run after it, they pick it up, they bring it back to you because they want you to throw it again. That's why they're bringing it back to you because they want you to throw it again. They don't, not because they're trying to, you know, they're formally conditioned, but um, that, in fact, I, I feel like that's what drives, I know it is for Timber. Timber could care less about picking up a deer shed other than to please me and the t- retrieve part of it. That's what he likes. He likes the, he's obsessed with retrieving. It's the retrieve part of, of the activity that he, that drives him to pick that up. 
otherwise, like he doesn't care. I mean, there's, there's over a hundred of them laying in the floor down there and he doesn't even touch them. Like I'll see the puppy like hovered over them, like seeing if he could get by with it down there, like staring at them sometimes, but Timber could care less. And, and, you know, I didn't from a puppy, I always, I didn't let him chew on, on antlers in the house. Like it was they're only for working. So like the only time you're touching an antler is if I'm tossing it for you or you're picking it up and you're bringing it to me. Like it's, we don't sit in the floor down there and chew on antlers. That's not a toy. So that was very clear with him from the beginning. Like, you, and they're sitting, I mean, they're accessible to both dogs. They're sitting down there right now. They can, they're, they're on the floor. They can access most of those antlers and they know they're not allowed to touch them. Like I said, we'll see that everyone's once in a while, the puppies like I, and I'm like, I wonder if I can get by with it. I'll <laughs> see them like <laughs> hovered over top of them. But um, yeah, like Timber doesn't care if there's antlers down there. Now, if I pick one up and there's one in my hand, he becomes a different animal. Cause he wants that retrieve. Like, oh yeah. He will, he, he could be laying on a cot, like doesn't care. I pick up an antler or he sees me like get one out. Like we're going to go do like, yeah, he's, he's on point. Yeah. Okay. So you got him. We're playing fetch in the house with that. They're carrying the antler around. Do you mm -hmm. start hiding it around the house? Do you start putting scent on it? Or when do you start putting that deodorant scent thing on it? Or what's your yeah, thoughts on so that? I, I, just, I started putting scent on it, like, even from the beginning, just so that they, they're connecting the dots of the scent and the antler. Um, and then once you get where you're kind of moving, you want a little more area. You're not just, like, in a small, like, you know, I'm a 12-week-old puppy that's small, and you're moving outside. Longer retrieves. And then, like I said, you take that antler and you maybe throw it over in the bushes there where maybe they don't see exactly where it goes and they know it went in the bushes, but they don't see it anymore. So then they have to get in there and kind of look for it. And then you just keep accelerating that until they, you can kind of make it more of like a hide and seek type of thing. Yeah. That, that's how I approached it. And like I said, it, when I first had Timber, it was like a daily game. Like it, and he, I mean, he couldn't wait. Like it was, he knew exactly what we were doing every day and he, he loved it. So, yeah, that's yeah exactly how I went about it too. On the ones that I've done start with just in the front yard, bare grass and then throw it in the bush or some taller grass, throw it behind a tree. So they seen it go. And then you kind of, so like, that's what I was saying where I had my command that was find the shed instead of saying fetch or back or whatever, or his mm -hmm. name, I was saying that. So that way they knew it was different for the shed. And then I would make them sit in the front yard. So I guess I'll go to my next step that I did do that. When I was doing that, I'd have them sit in the front yard. I'd go around the side of the house and put it next to a bush or something and then come back, make yeah. it pretty easy. Or like I'd leave time sticking out and then I'd come back to them. And then rather than fetch or whatever, I'd say find the shed. And then they'd know that they're looking for it and he'd go along and find it. Mm -hmm. and progressively make it yeah. harder to go all the way behind the house, hide one or two. So what is your next step after that? Well, there's, um, there's a little bit of a, like a visual aspect to it too. So like, I think, I don't like when you, when I, I, I can kind of see when my dog's maybe going to potentially find something when we're out in the wild, because he'll work what it's called like a scent cone. So if you think about like where that antler is laying and then think about like from the spot that antler's laying and then like getting wider and wider, like a cone coming off of that. 
Like that's a scent. And like, I'll see, so he's running really fast and I'll see him sometimes like slam on the brakes and be like, Oh, I smelled something. Then I see him start like weaving. He's trying to get to the source of that scent. Um, and like different wing conditions will, will sometimes affect that. But like, I see a change in his behavior. So, um, that, you know, that's something I kind of had to learn and, and I haven't really learned it with the puppy yet. Like I haven't learned tells on him yet, but, um, that's just something I had to learn along the way. So. Okay. So we're okay. So we're fine. We're, he's finding the antler good now or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, do you like, will you go out and purposely hide a couple sheds like in an area where there might be sheds and then go get them out of the truck and run them around and see if they can find them right away? Or what's your, uh, when do you start trying to hit the woods with them? I, I say hit the woods immediately when you feel safe to hit the woods with your dogs, because the more time you spend behind your dogs, I mean, even if maybe they don't find anything, but there's, it's always, there's a chance for a learning situation. Let's, so let's say you have your dog out, you're kind of in the middle of training. You don't feel like he's, you know, finished with his training. He's still working on things, but let's say you find a shed instead of you just picking up that shed, like, guide your dog into it and make it like a, a learning moment and then they pick up on that and like i said i need the puppy i have now hasn't been trained on shed yet he picked it up just watching the other dog and walking with us at four months old so like he he picked that up just from woods experience and like okay well this is this is what the other dog's doing and i i don't think i think the more time you spend with your dog in the woods no matter what or out doing whatever you want to do the the better off you're, the better you're going to learn your dog and the more the experience they're going to get. And I say like where you feel safe to take your dog in the woods. So I was apprehensive about taking the puppy just because I know it sounds kind of like, like why would shed hunting be dangerous? But like there are situations where the dog could get like in danger. And I think, you know, some people don't agree with e-collars, but I very rarely shock my dogs on e-collar. It's more for their safety. Um, so I was apprehensive about taking the puppy because I didn't have him on an e-collar yet. And I felt like, you know, if he got out of my control or he got in a situation where he was in danger, like I wasn't, you know, wasn't going to have full control over me yet. He's still, you know, very young, but that's why I took the long lead and where I felt like he was in maybe like cliffy terrain or like close to, to heavy waters. Like I kept him on the long lead just for my peace of mind. But I feel like, if you're comfortable taking your dog out, like you should take them out as much as possible, regardless of where they are in their training. Cause I think there's teachable moments out there for you and the dog. Agreed. hundred percent. Eventually you got to put everything into practice. It's no good if you're just staying in your front yard the whole time being a backyard right. trainer. Right. So on that, you're saying that if you find a shed, have them find it. That's good. I do that too. Um, how often, Let's say with the older ones that are real good with it, or is it very often that you're finding some that they're missing? And if you do, are you running them back and trying to make them find it? Or you just say, oh, that's, that absolutely. It's yeah, absolutely. Like it's, I mean, my first year, like I saw in part of it, I will say in doing like the, the hunt test, the, the name of the game in the hunt test is, is speed. So when I was training my dog, I was always like, 
how fast can you do this? How fast, fast can you find these six antlers in this, you know, um, hundred yard long track? And I, that was really a mistake I made. And I guess if you want to do competition, yes, you should focus on speed, but like in the real world, I would focus on slowing down. So that first year I saw my dog step on a shed antler and not stop, like, you know, stop for a stop when, he, when he's running and forcing up, like that was the dog just like running past it. He steps on the antler and just keeps going. Um, he's done. And he did that his first year tracking a deer too. Like he literally was running so fast. Like he literally jumped on the deer and just kept going. And the hunters are like, where's it going? <laughs> just found the deer. Like he's just, he's so flying and and i instilled speed in helm in the in the beginning and i would recommend not doing that unless you're wanting to have a competition dog but um if if i find something that my dog doesn't see or if we're in like i get to it before the dog absolutely i got i i don't care if it's my veteran dog or it's the puppy like every moment's a teaching moment and that's fun for them too to get to do that and i think it encourages them like to keep going so um, yeah, I never pick up one if the dog's with me, if I find it first. So trying to think, and your dogs are not going to find every antler in the woods. Like there's plenty of days where you come home with nothing and like, you kind of have to think, okay, well, did I find anything? No, I didn't find anything either. So, I mean, like maybe there's nothing there, like, you know, maybe nothing, you know, there was maybe nothing there or. You know, the dogs, it's not, like I said, it's not a hundred percent science. There's been times I've seen them like miss some, and then there's been times I've seen them dig them out of the ground. So I don't know. You got any, Drew, any more questions? No, the biggest thing that I thought, uh, you made me think right away, Natalie, we were talking about the age of a dog and then also the learning moments with a the dog. There's a, a trainer, Evan Graham. He makes mention in one of his books that a dog doesn't care how old it is. If it's red, yellow, pink, or purple, ultimately our job is just to explain it as clearly as we possibly can. And you kind of explain that through the baby steps of things along with mm -hmm. being disciplined and kind of like the setup of what the task is, right? The best mm -hmm. on top of dog means deer. Um, whatever those steps were for shed antlers is kind of what you're priming the dog to do along with throwing that antler prior to going out. So, yeah, you kind of really made me think a lot of, you know, his principles and a lot of what he speaks on. And he's more of a waterfall uh, person, but I really see how they can translate one another as well. So, no, I mean, I learned a lot. I, I thought the the blood trailing, like teach the dog that first before the shed antlers, I, I never would have thought that. Um, and that's something that I actually, I would love to get into blood trailing eventually. Um yeah, I, I would have, I would have been ignorant to that. And I would have uh, probably messed that up with my first dog. Well, I, yeah, I actually did. And then when I went to my first tracking seminar, they, some of the more experienced handlers, there kind of helped me. And they're like, you, you know, it would have benefited you to do the tracking first so that the dog learns to put its nose to the ground because naturally a, a lab's going to air scent and it's a lot easier to let them, they're going to air scent naturally anyway. So it, the hard part is getting them to put their nose to the ground. So I did take a different approach with the puppy and I, I did have to fight that quite a bit with my, my veteran dog. He was jumping out of the car and smelling the dead deer 300 yards away and wanting to just straight line run to it. And that can get you in trouble real quick when you get into different terrain. So, um, I fought that for like a year <laughs> before I came to sit. So I learned 
I learned, I've learned a lot from, I've made a lot of mistakes and I've learned as I, as I go and I'm still learning like all the time. So that's all you can do. Natalie, yeah. do you have anything that you think that we've missed? Anything shed hunting at all? No. Um, I would tell you to slow down and take your time out. That was, that was a big eye opener for me last year. Um, just not, not flying through and just seeing how many miles you can do and really just slowing down in areas like made a huge difference last year. So that would be my, my number one takeaway. Number two, I think was find the food. <laughs> find yeah. the food. Yes. Yeah. Find the food. Find the food and find the lone evergreen trees near the food. Yes. If there's a lone evergreen tree out here by some sort of field, we're going to, I'll find it. There's none I know already, but if there was, I'd find it. I don't know if there's yeah. an evergreen tree within 300 miles of me. <laughs> there's way more sheds out there, though. Yeah. I think you're, the volume, you, you have a much larger playground, so. Yeah, that's the problem. Yeah. You guys got little chunks of food. We got giant, giant fields they could have been anywhere on. That's yeah. why farmers find somebody with their tires, and they ask you to come out and find them. I would, I mean, that's a good problem to have though. People begging you to come out and get, yeah. get the sheds for them. I mean, yeah, I would, uh, I'd love to have that problem. Yeah. Well, if you guys don't have anything else, you could probably call her a night. Got over an hour in on it. Awesome. Thank you for your service, Natalie. Uh, I'm, I'm sure there's, you hear it a lot, but man, to sacrifice your deer season to go help other people find their deer. That's, that's really cool. Oh, thank you. Um, well, it's addicting, so I don't know how much <laughs> it, it's, it's so addicting to do that with a dog. And then you, you make this bond with the dog and it's like, I, I could be up in a tree and someone calls me and I'm like, yeah, my hunt's over. I'm just going to go find their deer. <laughs> it's, it's, um, it's almost, it's as good as hunting, if not better. So cool. Well, thanks for coming on. I'm sure we'll talk to you again in the future when we got more yeah. blood trailing questions. All right. Well, thanks for having me. Yep. You have a good night. You too. All right. Bye. Bye.